All right. So open up with me, if you will, to Zephaniah 1. I am I'm hoping finally to make it through the end of the first chapter today, which I had intended to do in the second lesson, and now here we are on the fourth lesson, almost halfway through. But I figured that it was worth um, a little bit of review. In Zephaniah 1, we have God's covenant wrath on display in multiple different ways. Verses 2 and 3, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. Uh, Remember that this is... Uh, the uh, the undoing of creation, the the creational covenant with Adam, or the Adamic covenant. Uh, this is going even a step beyond uh, the Noahic covenant, where even the fish of the sea are condemned. Something that didn't even happen in Noah's day. Uh, and then in verse seven, we saw at the end of last time, uh, "Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand." For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guests. And the idea here is uh, that this is a, uh, a meal, a sacrificial meal uh, uh, in the vein of the Abrahamic covenant out of Genesis 15 where God split the animals uh, and uh, went through, uh, where the the flame and the stove went through the midst of the two animals. Um, The idea being uh, that God promised to save His people. God promised Abraham. And God said, let this be done to me if I do not uh, fulfill my promises. And so uh, we also said that Uh, The idea here in verse 7, from the perspective of the new covenant, is that uh, God is preparing his sacrifice, Jesus Christ, and offers us as his guests at the table uh, the bread and the wine, the body and the blood uh, uh, of Christ uh, as his guests. And so there is, there is honestly a lot in verse 7. We, we might be able to teach an entire class just on the second phrase, for the day of the Lord is at hand. And I'm not, uh, I'm not dealing with the day of the Lord is at hand adequately, if I'm, if I'm being honest. Um, but the idea of the day of the Lord uh, now runs through the rest of the book of Zephaniah uh, as a theme. And we're going to see that towards the end of chapter 1 even more. Uh, But let's go ahead and get into verse 8. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter, starting with verse 1, and then we'll pick up with verse 8. The word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests... 
those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, and those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who, but who also swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of Him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, he has invited his guests, and it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. In the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter, a loud crashing from the, ha- from the hills. Wail, you inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. And it shall come to pass in that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore their gods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. And they shall build houses, but not inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near. Notice how many times we talk about the day of the Lord in the next few verses. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men. And they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of His jealousy. For He will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Amen. So... We've been looking here in chapter 1 over the last several weeks. uh, Idolatry has been on display. Uh, And as I read with my family, uh, Judges and Joshua, uh, idolatry is a constant sin within the people, within uh, the people of God. Right now we're at the end of Judges, and uh, it's all about idolatry and the fact that they have no king. And those are two issues that are taken up here in Zephaniah. Uh, So we talked quite a bit about idolatry last time, and we're going to continue to talk about idolatry today, but a different type of idolatry. We're not going to talk about Baal, and we're not going to talk about sacrificing our children uh, to Milcom, uh, the Ammonite god. Uh, We're not going to talk about uh, the raising up of uh, golden images or, or silver images, but idolatry is framed in Zephaniah in the second half of the first chapter uh, in, in terms of spiritual indifference. Um, and there is a sense in which, and I've hinted at this over the last two weeks, there's a sense in which the spiritual indifference of the day uh, is 
is the idolatry of the day. Yes, there were actual physical idols that were knocked down, uh, but it is spiritual indifference uh, that particularly in verse 12 uh, uh, comes into view. Um, so I wanted to, to refresh. I had a couple of quotes to keep in mind. Um, Dale Ralph Davis, Christians must beware of their tendency to make God safe when we do so, we end up worshiping something other than the Holy One of Israel. And I have one other from Calvin. Uh, this worship made up of various inventions was an abominable corruption which God would punish, for he can, no, he can by no means bear that there should be such an alliance, that idols should be substituted in his place, and that a part of his glory should be transferred to the inventions of men. Uh, so th- those were quotes that we read last time. Uh, but they relate directly to what we're going to discuss today uh, in verse 8. Here we see in verse 8 that uh, the focus of God's judgment begins to tighten to specific people. It's been very broad. It's been on all of creation, and then it focused on uh, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the place where God dwelt with his people in particular. And now we're focusing in on specific people, on the leaders of the day. In that day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes or the leaders and the king's children. So Calvin here says, in punishing the ungodly, he shows himself to be the judge of the world. And this slaying is a sacrifice of sweet odor because it makes known his glory. Verse 9 here, uh, in the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold and fill their master's houses. There's a little bit of debate about what exactly uh, this means and who is the target. Um, uh, Most commentators uh, reference 1 Samuel 5 when the god Dagon uh, uh, was knocked over and uh, his head was split on the threshold of the door. Um, And from that day forward, in 1 Samuel, it's recorded that the priests of Dagon would not, uh, they would jump over the threshold because it destroyed their God. It broke their idol. Uh, And so, uh, and I tend to think that that is the reference here, specifically because of the focus on idolatry in Zephaniah. Calvin held a different view, and I don't remember it now. Do you remember it? Yeah, uh, Calvin... uh said that there was a situation where uh, individuals were taking advantage of others, they were taking their houses, this may relate like to the Jubilee where they were, they were scripturally obligated to return property and they failed to do so, and they were rejoicing by leaping over the threshold, rejoicing at their, their unconscionable gain as opposed to their own home where they would take rest and respite. They would not be leaping over the threshold. Yeah, which also makes sense because those are the very issues that are addressed in the first eight verses of chapter 3. Um, the, uh, the polluted city, the city of God, the city of Jerusalem, um, is condemned in the first part of chapter 3. Uh, in particular, for its unrighteous judgment against its own brothers. So it's the same, the same kind of concept. 
Um, So we move into verses 10 and 11, and we see that certain classes of people, so we're we're going from the world uh, uh, all the way down to specific leaders, uh, and then specific classes of people. And the idea is, there's nothing that you can do to escape. It doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't matter how well politically connected you are. even even the leaders and uh, and no matter your class, uh, you will come under the judgment of God. So uh, in verses 10 and 11, there are uh, specific places mentioned um, in the city. The, the fish gate uh, in particular is interesting because this is the first place that was attacked when Jerusalem was overtaken. Uh, this was the north gate of the city, and this is where the Babylonians attacked. And God is saying the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, uh, predicting the Babylonian invasion some 30 or 40 years later. Uh, the second quarter is interesting because this is a part of the city that Manasseh added. Manasseh being the terrible king where the blood ran through the streets. God is specifically condemning uh, Manasseh and, uh, and God's people um, in, this, uh, in this reference to the second quarter. And the idea of loud crashing from the hills is, is the idea of idols. And this is prevalent throughout Scripture. The idols that are being pushed over and broken, uh, there's loud crashing from the hills. Uh, Maktesh was the market district, which makes sense in the second half of verse 11 because all the merchant people will, cut, will be cut down. The means of survival will be cut off. Um, all those who, ma- who handle money are cut off. Uh, I love the book of Habakkuk, which is right before this. And this is very reminiscent of the end of Habakkuk 3, um, 3.17. This is one book over, one book before Zephaniah. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk on my high hills. That's where all the idols had been. Um, but the very means of survival is cut off for God's people. So we see in verse 12 that there is a thorough perusal of the city. Um, Jerusalem will be searched out uh, and uh, deeds will be made known. Um, There's a specific focus here on uh, the spiritually indifferent. Um, And there's a special condemnation for those that uh, that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. And this is sort of reminiscent of Amos. Let's turn to Amos. Amos chapter 9. We'll start in verse 2. Though they dig into hell, from there my hand shall take them. Though they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. And though they hide themselves on top of Carmel, from there I will search and take them. Though they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and it will bite them. 
So there's no place that they can hide. Though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword, and it shall slay them, and I will set my eyes on them for harm and not for good. There is no place that you can hide from the God that searches out the city. So the the spiritually indifferent come into focus here. And we've already looked at at this to a certain degree. Uh, Verse 6 says, Those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of Him. Um, But this idea is taken up again. Uh, and, and this is precisely why we need to be reading books like Zephaniah and studying these passages to root out spiritual indifference in our own heart. Um, we want to be the type of people that are talked about in Isaiah that tremble at the word of God uh, and not the type of people in focus here uh, that, uh, that say that the Lord will not do good and he will not do evil. Um, We have to be careful as we consider this type of indifference uh, that we do not frame God into the type of God that we want to see. Um, We we need to worship God for who He is, even in His judgments, uh, and not... um, not pollute who He is... Uh, not pollute those things that he values. Um, And I'm thinking of things in particular uh, like the Lord's Day. Do we regard the Lord's Day as God regards the Lord's Day? Uh, Do we pray as God commands us to pray? Uh, Do we regard Scripture as God regards Scripture? Um, Do we worship as God commands or do we make up what we want? And I'm not, I'm not saying, I, I do believe that in this church, uh, we regard the Lord's Day and we are a people that honors the Lord's Day. We are a praying people. Um, we are a people that seek to worship God as He commands in His Word. But that's the focus here in Zephaniah 1, is rooting out the weeds of spiritual indifference. Uh, And it's framed in the context of idolatry, making God into something that he is not. Uh, Making God into the God that we want to see, not the God that he is. And we see in verse 13 that the labors of the spiritually indifferent now become fruitless. Therefore their gods shall have no booty, and their houses a desolation. Here at the end of the verse, uh, well, it, it, it's important to remember that in Joshua 25, there's a specific reference here to Joshua where the people are given uh, houses that they did not build. And when they come into the promised land, they cross over the Jordan, um, They're given houses that they did not build and vineyards that they did not plant. And they're drinking the wine or the the fruit of the vine that God or or that they that they did not do the labor for. God has given that to them. And that was part of the promised land. If you want to look it up later, specifically Joshua 24, 13 through 25. But uh, and Joshua at this point in time 
in that passage makes a covenant with the people. And so, uh, you know, here we are again faced with the covenant judgments. The people did not obey God. And now they shall build houses, but not inhabit them. I'm reading Zephaniah 13, 1, 13. And they shall plant vineyards, but not drink wine. So we're seeing this, this specific covenant judgment against the people uh, from Joshua's day, from the very moment that they entered into the promised land. And now as we move into verse 14, it's interesting to note that in uh, verses 14 through 16, uh, there are nine references to the day of the Lord. Um, the day is mentioned nine times. Seven of them are in verses 15 and 16. Um, What we see here in verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter and the mighty men there. There the mighty men shall cry out. Um, We're about to see that uh, the covenant promises of Moses are now coming into view in verses 15 and 16. The mighty men crying out. Uh, The idea here is uh, it's the hopeless crying of a mighty warrior. Um, And uh, in verses 15 and 16, uh, this idea of darkness and devastation, uh, the trumpets uh, and the alarm, uh, all of this is reminiscent of Exodus 20. And I'm going to turn there real quick. You're welcome to also. Uh, At the very end of the giving of the Ten Commandments, Verse 18, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us and you will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that he may, uh, that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. <clears throat> so here in our, in our look, all within one chapter, uh, at the covenant wrath of God, uh, we're now coming to an end uh, with Moses, the day of wrath, the day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and, and desolation a day of darkness and gloominess, clouds and thick darkness. That is where God was and where Moses went to be with him, a day of trumpet and alarm. So uh, I find this interesting. John makes fun of me for this sometimes, but uh, I find it interesting that there are literary devices that are employed in order to uh, display certain ideas. Uh, And... Uh, in verse 15, there is what's called paranomasia, um, where uh, you, have, um, you have two sets of ideas that are set next to each other, and the emphasis is on the second uh, of those ideas. So you have trouble and distress, with the emphasis on distress. You have a day of devastation and desolation, with the emphasis on desolation. So... The idea here is distress, desolation, gloominess, thick darkness, and alarm. Uh, The emphasis is placed on all of those ideas 
um, through this through this literary device that's employed here. So we need to remember that there were covenant curses provided uh, provided to the people at the end of Deuteronomy, and specifically in Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness, confusion of heart. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead in my in my notes here. This is the next verse. Robertson here in verses 15 and 16. Uh, says the prophecy of Zephaniah may fittingly be called a treatise on the wrath of God. So this is God's wrath poured, poured out, His covenant wrath in particular. So humanity, moving into verse 17, humanity then becomes the principal object of God's wrath because of sin. So we move globally uh, uh, from all of creation to specifically the city of Jerusalem now uh, or in, and then the leaders specific classes of people um, and now we are moving to men or humanity in general because of sin and now I'll read about Deuteronomy Deuteronomic covenant curses the Lord will strike you this is Deuteronomy 28 the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart and you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness you shall not prosper in your ways and you shall be only oppressed and plundered continually and no one shall save you so if you'll remember at the end of Deuteronomy there's covenant promises and covenant curses and this is one of those curses which now comes to fruition in verse 17 and I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse at the very end of Judah's reign 350 years of actually a little more than that even almost 400 years of a Davidic line um, at the very end of Second Kings, um, the king of Judah is taken out, and his sons are killed in front of his eyes, and then his eyes are poked out, so that the last thing that he sees is his line, the covenant line of David, uh, being smited out before his very eyes, and he is then blinded. Um, and it is worth reading and worth thinking about what was lost there in that moment. Uh, but the recovery of sight for the blind should take on new meaning for us uh, as we consider uh, as we consider Christ's work in the Gospels. Uh, Luke eighteen uh, specifically mentions the recovery of sight at the inauguration of Christ's ministry. And Matthew, and I'm not going to read all of these passages, but there are multiple references to the healing of the blind in Matthew 9, 11, 12, 15, and 20. Um, but uh, this idea of the blind recovering sight is, uh, is Christ's renewal and restoration. This is part of the covenant curses of God's people, is this blindness. Um, and it was... Uh, in an active parable displayed out by the king and the loss of the Davidic line in Judah at the end of 2 Kings. Uh, and we see Christ recovering that um, 
in in the Gospels. Uh, Neither their silver nor their gold, reading in verse 18, shall be able to shall be able to deliver them. Their idols that they made out of silver and gold will do nothing in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. It's also interesting to note that after the king was blinded in Second Kings and the Davidic line is smited out, the promises of God appear to be null and void uh, for, the, for the people of God uh, that the Babylonians destroyed the entire city with fire. They burned the houses uh, and they burned the gates. Uh, they burned the walls and everything was destroyed. But God here is saying uh, that this is the fire of his jealousy. That's 2 Kings 25. For he will make speedy riddance of those who dwell in the land. What a sobering view of God in his, in his majesty. So we, we see here that the whole of creation is in view with the fire of his jealousy and will be consumed. Um, Turn with me to Zephaniah three eight. I really, it's important to have the whole book in view. And I'm not reading the whole book every time, but I would encourage you to read the whole book um, because it's the the whole argument. Zephaniah three eight. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. So God is jealous for the worship of his people. And this comes into view in the first three verses of chapter 2, where for the first time in this book, and I realize we've been covering this for four weeks now, um, but relatively quickly in the book, we have a hint of restoration. Uh, and I'll go ahead and read the first three verses of chapter 2. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. Before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld His justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. So we have this call to God's people to seek Him. Seek righteousness. Seek the Lord. Seek humility. Here in the first part of chapter 2, I came across a a great quote from Jeremiah Burroughs. It's very short. Uh, It's in the book that the men are reading uh, for the upcoming men's group this next year. One drop of sweetness of heaven is enough to take away all the sourness and bitterness of all the afflictions of the world. And I felt like that's appropriate in the context of uh, a harsh judgment, uh, the sweetness from heaven, which we experience in Christ alone. So in verses 1 through 3 here in chapter 2, we have a call to repentance. Uh, Gather yourselves together. The word that's used here is interesting. It's only used a couple of times in Scripture. um, And it's translated either gather or stubble, 
which is very odd, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I can't explain that. But the idea is to gather like kindling for a fire. Um, and it's used specifically in, well, of course, you know, I didn't write down the specific other uses. Oh, here we go. Malachi 4.1, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all will do quickly. All who do wickedly will be stubble. So the idea of burning and stubble are, are together here. And the day in which, and the day which is coming shall burn them up. Uh, so gather is, we're called to gather twice. Gather, yes, gather together. Sort of to further emphasize the urgency here. Robertson says, the day, that day does not pass over like chaff. But it suits ideally the brevity of the tie now remaining for the time now remaining for repentance. Chaffs ho- hovers momentarily, floating in the air. A gust of wind swirls about, and it is gone in an instant. Because of its lightness, the chaff is easily and quickly blown away. Um, the day itself is. Not the chaff, but the moment for repentance, the time that we have remaining for repentance is the idea here of chaff. It is fleeting. And so Zephaniah is telling us now, turn and repent now. This is the urgency. Gather together. Yes, gather. The time for repentance is now. The day that this moment for repentance is passing like chaff. And only the adequate escape from the fierce anger and burning of the wrath of the Lord Himself. Uh, By the way, the Lord used all throughout the book of Zephaniah, uh, the name that's used is Yahweh, the covenant name of God, which is appropriate because we're discussing the covenant wrath and the covenant curses of God all throughout Zephaniah. Um, Judah has already been rebuked in chapter 1, verse 6, Six for not seeking God, and now they're told three times to seek Him in various ways. And this plural admonition uh, is God calling His people to worship. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth. Uh, all of you, come together, gather for worship for God's people. Here is the idea. Robertson says, For only as the assembled community solemnly pledges the submission of its will to the will of Yahweh, may a meaningful seeking of the Lord be achieved. As His binding word of the covenant is rehearsed, as the sacrifices of praise and adoration are offered, the Lord may be found. So I say with Zephaniah here, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who uphold His justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. And let's look forward to coming in to worship together. Let's pray.